What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nothing But Sports Podcast. I'm Rahil Jaswell. This is episode 79. And so I know I said that, I know I said in the last recording that episode 79 was, I, I know I said in the last recording that that was episode 79, but that was actually episode 78. I made a mistake when I was, um, <laughs> before I recorded, I didn't look properly. So this is actually episode 79. And today we're going to talk everything MLB trade deadline. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the Deshaun Watson situation because I didn't get to touch on that in my last podcast because I had Dean and Davis on the two guests. That episode just came out earlier today, so go check it out. And you'll see this episode the day after on Friday before I leave for um, for vacation. But anyway, let's get uh, let's get into it. So let's start with Deshaun Watson. So Deshaun Watson was hit with a six-game suspension for the MLB season. Or MLB, sorry. In the MB... Or, Oh my god, not in the in the NFL. Sorry, Deshaun Watson was hit in a, with a six-game suspension. And for those who don't know, pretty much for now almost a uh, over a year, almost appearing on two, Deshaun Watson has been in a lot of uh, legal problems with um as he's went out with the Cleveland Browns because of the allegations coming out. I think there's about 26 civil lawsuits against him for against against him for sexual misconduct. Or you know, sec, you know, inappropriate sexual misconduct and sexual assault. And normally, I don't touch on these subjects on my podcast, and that it's they're normally very touchy, and it's always tough to judge because you know when there's a case like this. But this really, this one really, I think is important to talk about because I honestly think that this suspension was weak um, by ju- by Judge Sue Robinson, and, uh, now I know the NFL is trying to appeal the suspension, but I don't know if they're actually going to add more games because Goodell is pretty weak himself. But to me, this six-game suspension was really, really weak, in my opinion. And I'm not a huge—I think there it should be a lot more. And I think a lot of people actually agree with me that it should be a lot more. Um, this suspension should be a lot more. And here's why. When there is one sort, you know, in a situation where there is one, I understand, listen, the innocent until proven guilty. I understand that rule. And I, and I, um, you know, I understand that, that that's how it works. But listen, if it's one case or, you know, one or two cases against it, you know, then you're like, okay, then this is a classic he said, she said, and you never know in society when someone's out to go get money. But the fact that there's 26 allegations against this man and the if the fact that there's 26 there is a volume of allegations all following a similar path and none of them have really been sort of debunked or anything i'm inclined to believe them when there's so many different allegations you know the fact that you know people will argue that all 26 of these women cohorted together to try and create a personal attack on this man when there's 26 you have to think there's some truth behind that he has made people uncomfortable and he's done things that are that should grant more of a suspension i understand he lost the full year last year but that wasn't really a suspension that was more of a is he going to play game by game and to put six games on him is really not that much and you know six games to an outsider who doesn't really follow the nfl might seem oh that's relatively fair but i'm gonna tell you why it's not fair or why it's not enough in the context of the nfl Six games is not much at all, all right? Calvin Ridley got a full season 
this year for gambling. And keep in mind, he was gambling when he was hurt, injured, on his own team to win. So, But they suspended him for the full year. So all of a sudden, a man who has 26 uh, allegations against him can play, only get suspended six, while Calvin Ridley, who was caught gambling... But he wasn't gambling when he, uh, as in cheating. He wasn't gambling against his own team. He was gambling for them while he was hurt and he was betting on them to win. You suspend that man for a full season. DeAndre Hopkins, seven games for a PED suspension. Again, PED related to sort of football and cheating. You suspend him for seven games. But a dude that could potentially have assaulted 26 different women, you're going to only give him six? Tom Brady in the NFL, four games a couple years ago for deflating. Four games for taking the air out of the football. And you only give him two extra games. Josh Gordon, way back then, suspended uh, almost in his career about 30 games for weed and marijuana. I understand weed wasn't legal at the time, but you give him 30 games, but a dude who's assaulted 20, uh, allegedly assaulted 26 different women, you only give him six? So when you look at it that way, it should be way more. I'm thinking it should be 10. It should be 12. Plus that the time from last year. To say that you can only... To say... And again, it just makes the league look even worse. Okay? Um, you know, for... You know, in the past, even even in general when it comes... The NFL is weak when it comes to these suspensions. Um, you know, you know, domestic violence, they don't suspend the, them that long. They need to be suspended more. I think Ray Rice, way back when, I don't think he got that many games for... For punching his girlfriend, um, he didn't get he he got a relatively light um, suspension. I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but Adrian Peterson he only got four when he uh, when he hit his kid. So the fact that the NFL is continuing to pass out these weak suspensions for serious issues. See, oh yeah, Ray Rice only suspended the first two games of the NFL season when there was clear evidence of him hitting his girlfriend in a in a surveillance. Uh, camera in the elevator. They, they just have a past history. If the NFL wants to make this right, they'll put another extra four games on this and go 10 to 12 because I think that is a fair number for Deshaun Watson. I don't know if he deserves the full season because that would take him out a full two seasons, the NFL, but 10 to 12 is the best margin for me. And, and again, the fact that in context, six games in the NFL is not a lot. And I understand it's the whole innocent until proven guilty, but when there are so many allegations against you, you have to think there's some validity and some truth behind some of these allegations. So I really do think there should be more. There are more. Um, that's all I have to say on that. I was pretty disappointed to find out, again, like I said, considering overtime guys have, you know, gotten, you know, similar number of suspensions for doing way things that are not as bad as what Deshaun Watson has allegedly done. So, and I understand those are all proven, but again, like I said, you know, 26. Again, there has to be some validity when there's that many when there's that many um, allegations. So let's move on from that. Let's talk about the MLB. So the trade deadline went down a couple days ago, and really, I want to. This might be a relatively short episode. I want to focus on two moves in particular. We're going to talk about what the Yankees did. That's going to be the first, or we're going to talk about that later. But first, we're going to touch on Juan Soto. So. Obviously, the big, um, <clears throat> the big pro. I know, I know, like teams, the Astros made some really move, good moves getting Trey Mancini, but I just don't have time. You know, Mariners got Luis Castillo. I don't have like so much time to pick apart every single move 
that happened at the trade deadline. So let's talk Let's talk Juan Soto. So Juan Soto has been traded to the San Diego Padres along with Josh Bell. So Juan Soto and Josh Bell are going to the San Diego Padres. In exchange, the Nationals will get uh, Mackenzie Gore, Robert Hassel III, C.J. Abrams, James Wood, Gerilyn uh, uh, Susanna, and Luke Voigt. <laughs> Former Yankee Luke Voigt. So let's like take a look at this from the Nationals' perspective, okay? Nationals fans... I understand you're hurt, and I understand how angry you are because you're going into a complete rebuild three years after winning the world championship. That doesn't happen. Teams usually take a lot, like normally a team that wins can compete for the next two to three seasons, but ever since that world championship, it's been downhill. Um, You know, you let Max Scherzer go, Patrick Corbin, who was a huge part, that investment hasn't worked out. Anthony Rendon left, uh, Trey Turner's now with the Dodgers, so it's... It's tough. It's it's really rough for Nationals fans, and I understand the pain. But at the end of the day, what other choice did you have? Was the other option for you to hold on to him till the offseason and then try and trade for him or convince him to restay? I don't think there was anything you could have done to try and keep this man in Washington. He declined a 14-year, $440 million contract. That is the largest con- one of the largest contracts in sports history, and he said no to it. He clearly did not want to be out of it. So you look for the best trade suitors. And listen, could they have gotten a little more from the package? I think so. But again, we don't know what the Cardinals and the Dodgers were, um, were offering. Again, you know, people said maybe the Yankees could have made a better, um, a better trade package with Oswald Peraza. Uh, Jason Dominguez, Anthony Volpe, and a couple other guys. And maybe they could have. Maybe they could have. Because this package is a good package, but I wouldn't say it's an unbelievable package. So maybe the Yankees could have made an offer for Juan Soto. But I don't know if the Yankees' number one priority was um, was Juan Soto at this deadline. Anyway, so let's let's break down the package, okay, that the, um, that the Nationals got. All right, let's look at, let's look at Mackenzie Gore. Mackenzie Gore is a good player, in my opinion. All right, he's solid. He's 23 years old. I know right now he's on the injured list because he's got some elbow trouble. Um, I mean, and again, all right, he's struggled a little bit this year, but he's considered to be one of the best pitching prospects in the game. And I understand, listen, his performance hasn't matched that so far. And, you know, the elbow issue doesn't help. But again, future, you could have a top prospect in the game. And when the Nationals went to the World Series, it was on the back of starting pitching. It was Steven Strasburg who struggled to stay healthy. You know, Max Scherzer, Max Scherzer, Anibal Sanchez, a couple guys out the pen. So maybe this is a move that Mackenzie Gore can continue to you know develop, get him around some good pitching, some p- good pitching coaches. The Nationals have clearly made good pitchers in the past. Not saying they made Scherzer, but you know, Strasburg, you know, he hasn't really succeeded elsewhere. So maybe there's a chance that Mackenzie Gore can develop into someone like that. Again, this is me sort of like thinking hopefully. Uh, Abram, uh, Abrams has played in uh, more big league games than he has in the uh, double-air or triple-A, so he's got good experience, and he's ranked the 10th te- uh, best prospect. This is about, um, excuse me, this is about a- uh, this is about um, C.J. Abrams, the shortstop. So he's ranked the 10th best prospect in baseball. So again, a potential guy you could use. Now, that being said, to me, these prospects are good, and you know, a couple, um, uh, you know, uh, Jerilyn, uh, 
Susanna, he's got a good he's got a good potential for the for the breaking ball. Uh, Robert uh, Robert Hassel is a good speedy outfielder that has but has struggled a little bit. I think only his twenty homers is hitting around two thirty. So this package to me is, I think I I honestly think the Nationals, considering they also gave up Josh Bell, could have given up a little more. They also threw in Luke Voigt at the end of the package, but Luke Voigt has really been struggling this year. So the Nationals are sort of in a in a rough situation right now, but it's the the rebuild work for them in the past. So I thought Mike Rizzo did a decent job here. I thought maybe he could have gotten a little more. Maybe he could have looked at the Dodgers. The Dodgers normally have a very good farm system. Um, or maybe he could have looked at the Yankees. I don't know if the Yankees were in on the Juan Soto sweepstakes. The Cardinals also had some good things you could package together. But So as for Nationals, I think they could have done a little better. But in the end, they got a decent package, you know, five, six players, one of the bigger packages in MLB, in the MLB. But Juan Soto's only 23 years old. I think he probably deserved to get a little more. I don't want to say they were fleeced, but I think the Nationals could have gotten a little more. And, okay, so that's the National side of things. Washington, if there, if any Washington Nationals fans are with you, I grieve for you because that is really, really tough to give up a player of Juan Soto's caliber. All right, let's move to the Padres now. So the Padres went all in at this deadline because they not only got Soto and Josh Bell, they got Josh Hader, who has struggled of late, but he's... Josh Hader has been probably one of the best closers in the last five years. He's been sort of the, when you think dominant closer, you think Josh Hader. He, they also got, and they also got Brandon Drury, who is having a very underrated season. He's hitting around 275, smacked a grand slam yesterday, 21 homers, good on base percentage, good slugging. He's having a really good year. So the Padres clearly, they've thrown the kitchen sink. They've gone full there to compete with the Dodgers. They've, thrown in all the chips. That being said, are they better than the Dodgers? I still don't know if they're better than the Dodgers. That's crazy to sound, but it at least makes the division more competitive. And now they're not going to catch the Dodgers to win the division, but there's a very good chance they play them in a division series in the playoffs. And I would love to see that five-game series, okay? Because you've got decent pitching. Hugh Darvish is having a is having a pretty good year. You've still got Blake Snell, who still has shown capabilities of pitching well. You've got a pretty good bullpen, and now you've got a lineup including, you know, Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, and Josh Bell. Those are four really good hitters. I, you know, people forget that Josh Bell was included in this deal. Josh Bell is hitting 300 on the year. He's a huge power guy, can play good at first base. So it's Juan Soto's honestly not even, so the fact that they were able to get both in the deal is pretty impressive. Although saying that they're losing six to one right now. What the hell? Oh, speaking of, Josh Bell is the only one guy with a run. He had a single, and um, and Soto scored. So this lineup, and also you put Brand, you slide Brand Jury down with um with Profar with Profar hitting um hitting leadoff. This is not a bad lineup. I this is a very good lineup. That being said, I don't think it's better than the Dodgers, but this is certainly the na- they have to make the postseason now. If the Padres somehow fail to make the postseason, it will be an all time failure because there's no way you can have this quality of players and not make the postseason. Again, you don't have to beat the Dodgers. But another thing I'm interested in is will they try and lock up Juan Soto's extension this offseason? Or he see a re- I assume they will, given they gave up so much to get him and they want to keep their window open more than two and a half years because Soto's only 23 years old. But that being said, who knows? Again, I still think the Dodgers are a better team. But that's tackling sort of the Juan Soto thing. The last thing I want to touch on in this episode, and again, 
this is a relatively quick episode, is the, the Yankees. So the Yankees... So the Yankees had a good deadline. I would give them an A- minus grade. However, I was giving them an A up until the last day. So the last day they traded Jordan Montgomery to the um, St. Louis Cardinals for uh, Josh Bader. Um, for those who don't know, Bader is right now hurt. He's one of the better defensive outfielders, de- better defensive center fielders in the MLB and can get hot sometimes. But his numbers aren't you know, super eye-popping. So when this first this deal first went down, I was kind of excited because I thought, okay, they're going after, um, they're trying to get, they're going to get Pablo Lopez. They're going to get another, Carlos Rodon. They're going to get another pitcher that can excel them and they're getting rid of, and in replace of Jordan Montgomery. But then no other deal came in. So I am not super happy about them giving up Jordan Montgomery. And here's why. Listen, was Jordan Monger- is Jordan Montgomery going to be the difference in the Yankees winning a World Series? No. But that being said, I would much rather have him in the postseason rotation than deciding to take Jamison Tyone or an opener. Because right now, so Luis Severino is on the 60-day IL. They don't think it's anything serious. It's just a precautionary measure moving back to September. Make sure he's, you know, his arm strength is, you know, make sure he doesn't hurt himself. Don't rush him back. Get the arm strength back. And that's all good from there. So I'm not too concerned with Severino. But so as of now, the Yankees rotation in come postseason time would be Garrett Cole, who we still who's a little iffy right now, Frankie Montas, Nestor Cort or Luis Severino, and Nestor Cortez. Those four guys. Because Tyone would I don't I'm not taking the postseason and maybe an opener, maybe Clark Schmidt can throw out the bullpen. But that being said, I would much rather have Jordan Montgomery. In there in the fifth stop because he also has postseason experience. So this mantra saying, oh, the Yankees didn't see him as a potential, you know, postseason starter, I disagree with. Because I would honestly take him any lightning day over Tyone and Herman. And another thing is, this move kind of irks me the wrong way because it seems to me to think that the Yankees are complacent at where they are right now. It almost seems like they're prepping for October. At this rate, when there's a whole half the season left. First of all, all right, the Yankees are 10 ga- 11 and a half games up in the division. I understand being complacent. But another thing is, you're not the best record team in baseball. The Dodgers are. And the Astros are two games behind you for, I'm gonna, two games behind you for the second, for the top AL, while AL spot. You know what that means? At this rate, with your complacency, the Astros are going to pass you. And all year I've heard from Yankees, this ALC, an ALCS this year against the Astros would be different because the Yankees would be hosting. Well, guess what? At this rate, with this move and the complacency you've shown, you're going to be right back in Houston for the ALCS. And guess what? You're going to lose that series. I think you're going to lose anyway when you go to Yankee Stadium, but even if you play it, even if you get home field advantage, but I don't think the Yankees have any chance if the Houston Astros host this ALCS because the Yankees can't hit for crap in Houston. So, and again, you know, you get to the World Series against the Dodgers, presumably, you wouldn't be the, you wouldn't be home field advantage there. So, why are you being so complacent all of a sudden? You know, this, oh, we didn't see Montgomery being a starter in October. Hello, there's still a whole second half of the season. And 
Now the rotation is going to be Tyone there, and you're going to have to throw Domingo Herman. You're saying, oh, well, come postseason time, Domingo Herman will be demoted down. He's still got a pitch in the rotation for the whole second half of the year, and he is extremely inconsistent. And you would much rather have Jordan Montgomery because Montgomery was a guy who was, you know, he was solid. You know, he might have a couple of bad innings, but he was at least, he was going to go and grind you, you know, five innings, give you three runs, and give your offense a chance. Herman is not like that. Herman will get shelled some days for no reason. Look at Tyone's inconsistency. So if your plan is to take Jamison Tyone to the postseason or an opener, you would have much rather taken Jordan Montgomery, in my opinion. And also, if you're saying, well, Jordan Montgomery wasn't that good for the postseason, and we're not going to take Tyone and Herman, we're just going to take those four, well, who's going to pitch right now to hold it down when Luis Severino is injured? Because now you've got Herman at the, you know, so now your rotation would be what? Your Cole Montas, you would slot um, Cole Montas, or Cole, yeah, Cole Mo- Frankie Montas, you slot Nestor back at three, but number four, Sevy's not there, so it'd be Tyone. And five would be Herman or Schmidt. So you're po- you're pitching both Tyone and Herman. That's not a great rotation for the final second half of the year. You would much rather have it as um, at Monty at the four and the five be Tyone and Herman demoted to the bullpen, or even you know, or even put Tyone back in the bullpen. Herman at the five. There is so many. It just uh, it doesn't. This deal doesn't make sense to me. Also, let's look at the guy they got, all right? Josh Bader. Not Josh Hader, Bader, all right? Let's look at let's look at Josh Bader's um let's look at Josh Bader's numbers. So, the reason for the um the Yankees acquiring Josh Bader was Cashman basically raved about his um oh sorry, not Josh Bader, Harrison Bader, excuse me. Harrison Bader. So, the reason for the Yankees acquiring Harrison Bader was the was Cashman raved about his defensive his defense and that the Yankees were minus seven in a differential in center field. Well, to be completely honest, I think the numbers don't tell the full story because I think Aaron Judge has done a great job in center field. And now this seems like the guy to be Aaron Hicks's replacement because come because the Yankees are clearly sick of Aaron Hicks, so they don't want him come postseason time. But I got a question for you. So is Bader going to be a guy that comes as a pinch hitter? In the postseason, what's your plan? Now, is your plan to play Judge and Wright, um, Judge and Wright, Bader in center, and then Stanton in left? Is that the plan here? Or is the plan to play Carpenter in left? Because people say you don't want... Because right now, the Yankees outfield is consisting of... Um, uh, right, right now, as we speak, when Stanton comes back, would be, I think, Carpenter... Or right now, no, it'd be Hicks right now. It'd be, so as of now, it'd be Hicks, Judge, and Carpenter. And when it comes back, you would assume uh, Stant would replace Carpenter. Uh, uh, Stant would replace Carpenter. So, no, sorry, Stant would replace Hicks. So you've got Judge, Hicks, or you've got Judge, Stant, and Carpenter, and then you would shove over Judge to right and then replace Carpenter? So then you'd have an outfield of Bader... Judge and um and Stanton and then um Carpenter at the DH. Well, to me that doesn't make the Yankees that much better in my opinion. I honestly don't. Th- I, I I Bader is a much better option than Aaron Hicks, but I don't. It's he's not this world beater guy. And also, we don't even know when he's going to play. 
People say he's a speedy good center outfielder. He's got a boot on his foot right now. So will that affect his speed? I have no freaking clue. And and people will say, oh, well, maybe you can put Carpenter in there and move Stanton to the DH because you want to keep Giancarlo Stanton healthy because he has the Achilles tendon or he has the Achilles issue. He should be back from, but you don't want to risk anything. Well, you realize that Giancarlo plays base hits the ball way better when he's in the field than he does the DH. So if he doesn't hit well at the DH, why do you want to put him back there? I really don't understand this move because to me, the outfield is... I I understand people say you don't want judge and center, but is Bader really that much of an upgrade as far as offense goes? Like, I thought the defense in in the outfield has been fine this year. To me, it's been the timely and consistent hitting. And I don't see Harrison Bader changing your life, to be completely honest. So to me, there was no reason whatsoever to do this deal. You might as well would have kept Jordan Montgomery because Harrison Bader doesn't all of a sudden make you world beaters. It doesn't change your life. That's what I don't understand about this about this deal. Um, this deal would make sense to me if you were replacing, if you were getting a pitcher then. Okay, then you've gotten Montgomery out. Montgomery becomes expendable. And to me, because to me, he wasn't expendable before. And you plug in uh, Lopez. So I don't, I don't really understand it. And again, Bader to me is almost less, like pretty much the same as Aaron Hicks because they both go through slumps. Hicks looks hot one minute. Bader looks like at points he's the best in the um, best hitter in the league, and then he goes through horrible stretches. Not to mention, Cashman said they're hopeful he can play in September. Hopeful. They don't even know when he's going to step on the field. We could not even see this guy. This guy might not even play this year for the Yankees. We, I have no idea about this, this, this medical issue, or I mean, this foot injury. So, yeah, I just I understand Cashman saying, well, the Yankees are you know minus seven when it comes to you know center field defense, but center field defense to me is not going to change your life because Judge has one of the best arms in center. So to me, even though Judge has done a pretty good job in center field to me, so I don't know if Bader is going to completely change your life. To me, what the Yankees should have done is they should have kept Montgomery if they couldn't get Pablo Lopez and just rolled with uh, with the um, with the lineup they've had because really the, the major issue for the Yankees has just been stepping up when it comes to the Houston Astros pitching. Um, that's really... That's really... Uh, that's really all it is. They can get so many guys, but that's been the one issue right now. And I don't think Harrison Bader, like I said, is going to get you a clutch hit for the Houston Astros series. As um, a, uh, a breaking news, Woj just tweeted out that LeBron James and the Lakers discussed uh, and their future together on Thursday. Rich Paul, the CEO of Clutch, told the ESPN they were productive. So hmm, that's going to be interesting. Uh, that's going to be a... Uh, that's really interesting because LeBron, uh, for those of you who don't know, was able to was eligible to sign that extension. But 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 back to baseball. So you guys hear what I'm saying about this deal? To me, Cashman shouldn't have shouldn't have really done this at all. Now there are reports coming out that you know maybe that the Mariners backed out of the trade last minute. If that was the case, Cashman should have probably waited to pull the trigger on Jordan Montgomery just in case something like that happened. So I don't know. To me, this just because again, the Yankees pitching to me now is still a question mark. I would it's even more of a question mark than before. Uh Bader's not gonna change your life offensively. So the Yankees did get better. I will give them that. 
but I just don't think they're still good. They're, this team is not World Series ready. I hope yesterday's game showed how they are not ready. When they come up against good pitching, they shut down completely, and their ace is no longer looking like an ace in Garrett Cole. So I don't know. I really don't know about this move, but it's going to be interesting to see what the Yankees do going forward. Um, And again, like I said, a lot of teams just got better. The Astros got even better hitting now because they're replacing because they get they they got they got Christian Vasquez. They're replacing um Moldonado with Christian Vasquez. They got now Yuri now they can move Guriel to the DH maybe and put Trey Mancini at first, or they can put him at the DH. So to me, the Astros are honestly still better than the Yankees after this deadline, and the Yankees are losing their home field advantage. So that. That's not going to help. Like I said, if the, if this was if the Yankees and Astros played a playoff series based on the regular season games, the Yankees would have been out in five. But who knows? I guess this team is destined to win twenty eight. To me, they're not. Anyway, that is going to do it for this episode. Um, I know it was a relatively short one. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will hopefully have um a couple more episodes out when I get back from vacation. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you again in the future.